Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Just yesterday, we got a quick glimpse of some of the divides in America. The racial training going on at Starbucks, the horrendous tweets from Roseanne Barr, the cancellation of her show, and the collection of psychotic, hate-filled rants from the president in Nashville last night. And that was just one day in America. My guest, Charlie LaDuff, takes the journalistic admonition to go there and puts it on steroids. He's part of the great tradition of participatory journalists, people like George Plimpton and David Foster Wallace. But in his latest work, Shit Show, what he participates in is America itself in the 21st century. And for him, it's splintering, collapsing, and headed down the drain. And what's worse, in his view, no one is really talking about what's going on. Charlie LaDuff is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, formerly at the New York Times and the Detroit News. He's the author of the previous books, Detroit and Us Guys, and was the star of Fox's nationally syndicated show, The Americans. It is my pleasure to welcome Charlie LaDuff back to this program to talk about his new book, Shit Show. The country's collapsing and the ratings are great. Charlie, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, as always, Jeff, thank you for having me, my friend. It's a delight to have you here. Uh, you were working on the Americans, and uh, it was like enough of that. You decided you wanted to get deeper into what was going on out there. Talk a little bit about that that decision for you, first of all. Well, you know, I mean, as you were saying, uh, you know, I, I was living in California, had a child, and decided we needed to come back to Detroit because this is where our mothers, my wife and my mom, lived our mothers. And so we wanted our child to be part of that. And so you staring into the Detroit hole throughout that collapse, the, the big three, the economy itself. And in that book I wrote, I don't think Detroit's a freaky outlier. I think it's the epicenter of what's going on in America. It's the navel, if you will. And I walked into uh, Roger Ailes' office, at Fox, the, the creator of Fox News, who created it all in his head, no paper on his desk, and asked him, would you allow me to go look at the country? This is 2013, before Trump's even, you know, threatening to run again, which he did every cycle, and you never believed he was going to do it. And um, it just kind of dovetailed. Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of discord and discontent, and it just has to do with how people see the future of their children, in my opinion. And even back in 2013, long before Trump, as you say, you had a sense of, of the anger and the unhappiness and the angst that was out there. Talk about what, what did you sense was going on? In many cases, Detroit was, was kind of not so much an outlier, but really the canary in the coal mine. Well, let's, let's, let's see if I can keep it quick and simple. How did George Bush get reelected? I, I, I said to myself then, it's because everybody's house rich. Everything's going badly. That's through the roof, et cetera, et cetera. Jobs are leaving, right? You know, you know, Home Depot's full. What's going on? Eh, house rich. All of a sudden, we weren't house rich. All of a sudden, you know, the, the monetary policies to blow air into everything, you know, get the, get the bank's bottom line going again. And we're like back in a bubble, but you knew the, the foundations weren't there. You, you knew wages weren't going up. You know, uh, good jobs weren't being created, maybe Silicon Valley, but that's such a small segment of a country of 315 million people. You, just, you knew Chicago was struggling with its pension obligations, Detroit, Baltimore, Los Angeles, and on and on and on. What had replaced the good way of life? What was it? What, what, North Dakota oil fields, right? 
the the twenty dollar an hour factory job in Alabama. So we just hit the road. We went from the border to the Bundy Ranch to Flint to Baltimore to Ferguson to the campaign trail with Trump. And I can tell you that most Americans, at some level, the commonality is they are angry with their government. They don't feel that the government represents them or has their interests in mind, whether it be Trump or it be the county or the corrupt mayor or the police, that we're those that represent us do not represent us anymore. Is it fair, though, to paint government with such a broad brush, whether it's local, state, or national? And is what they're angry about more than the government, but the government's inability to deal with all the change that's taking place in so many areas of their lives? Well, how did these things come about? How did banking deregulation come about? How did the forever wars come about? How did world trade, right, the normalization of trade with China or net, how to come about naturally? Or did the very powerful and wealthy lobby the representatives, things we didn't ask for? Because we don't have these things anymore. And then what is the only branch of government that will even listen to you? City Hall? No. Your congressman? No. The only ones that will even answer your call are the police. And the country is so erratic, violent, right, uh, doped up, angry, family strife. They show up, but they can take your civil liberties, so we have an issue with them. But we're asking the police to keep this thing on the tracks when the foundation's eroded. That's, that's kind of what I saw. Is it fair? I think it's fair. Is it fair to say everybody in government is corrupt? I think that's that's asinine, that's silly, and it's immature, right? But I do think profound things have happened set in motion by very powerful and moneyed interests. There's just no doubt about that. Are they all set in motion by money interest, or are some of them just powerful global economic forces that we just got on the bandwagon of? But what is a powerful global economic force? Is that a trade wind? What is that? Is that, what is that? That is a market constructed by human beings, mm -hmm. manipulated by human beings. A market in itself tells you that there are rules attached to how, you know, monopoly's not good, oligopoly's not good, price fixing's not good, perfect flow of information, right? No counterfeit, no, no stealing. These are the principles of a market. So when we say global interests, well, what does that mean? Because we're not alone. Look at, look at the British, look at the Austrians, Look at the Russians, look at the Egyptians, look at the Mexicans. Remember last year, they, at this very time, they had gasoline riots, remember? Look at Brazil, look at Venezuela. The whole world is like this. So I just want to say, just to look at Trump and some of the dumb shit that he's tweeting <laughs> is not enough of an explanation about this country, about the media, about work, about dignity. That, that's just not enough. I just... I don't buy it. And, and, and certainly that's true. In many ways, Trump is not the cause of any of this, but merely the symptom of all of these things that you're talking about. Talk about what you see as the role of the media in all of this. In, in, in a way, and, and you were talking a little bit about this earlier, that we all exist in these bubbles depending on where we are in the country, and we see the world through our particular lens. And yet, in some ways, we should be more connected than ever, but we see more apart than ever. 
Yeah, uh, you know, because of the sedentary nature of life, I, what it's becoming. You know, you live in a box, you eat out of a box, you watch a box, you commute in a box, you go to work and sit in a cubicle. Um, you're, 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 you're sort of disconnected in a way. This, this is not the totality of the human experience. We are, are also part animal, you know. We like adventure, movement, fresh air, you know, waves, like nice nice bottle of wine <laughs> for God's sake. <laughs> and, um, and, um, we we're just tuning into it to a show, but the show doesn't reflect that anxiety of being in the box. It, it, it almost preys upon you to just buy into, buy into the body politic as if it was a, a sporting event. But it's so I don't know what to make of it anymore. The way it's being projected to me, mm-hmm. what's certainly things are uh, very serious. You call me and Mueller, but it gets the same volume as Scaramucci and and uh, Stormy Daniels. Like, well, what am I to think? What's what's for real? What's getting done? What's lining up the future for my kid? These tax breaks. That's probably the biggest thing that went down. And like the banking deregulation, where you don't see the effects for 10 years, it's probably the same kind of thing. Because whenever big, grand things do get done in Washington, we get whipsawed. And so what is the role of the media? I just thought it was once the media was hip to the fact that they completely missed it, and the mea culpas came from the editorial boards, we're going to do a better job of understanding you, they're still not doing it. In fact, they doubled down on the split screen. It's a, it's a quadrant. It's an octagon. It's, it's just blabbermouthing. You know what I mean? What about, right. what about, for instance, the million farm workers without papers? You know, the, the jobs they do that American has never done in 100 years. What are we going to do about them? What do we do about the million violent offenders that we still have here? That's two million that we all agree on. We don't want violent people and the good, hardworking people that have been here and have children. We need to do something with them. And yet we're not doing anything. And where are we going? And it's not just Trump because I remember the last 20 years of this, nothing got done. And here we go again. Same old, same old. And yet if we look at what some of the divides are, the class divide, the racial divide, some of the economic divides, people that have common interests and common angers are fighting with each other or divided from each other. That's the problem, isn't it? Because you're so right about that. In in the real world, you know, there is an overlap. People do talk. In real life, people, you know, get along. They have neighbors. But when you look at it at a macro level, yeah, we're, we're sort of put at each other's throats. Like, can't a white person understand what Black Lives Matter means? It simply means, at least I'm not black, so it's a little different to me, but equal treatment, equal justice. No more, no less, simple principle. But it's not like that. And can't black people understand that a huge swath of white America is hurting and hurting bad? You know what I mean? Like opioids and unemployment and and they get dropped by the police too can't we get beyond skin type skin tone and stereotype and start thinking about it in terms of common interest so we can get some things ordered i hope so that's my hope for this great country of course part of that comes out of looking for blame 
people hurting, people angry, as you say, and, and looking for somebody to blame. Yeah, I, I suppose that that is that is a human um, trait, and I, I do it too. But you know, uh, okay, let's spend a little less time on that and 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 get to some solutions. What happened to compromise? You know, this is three hundred fifteen million people. You don't get everything you want. It just doesn't work that way. And that system was set up for that very reason. So I don't know, man. I, you know, I'm not quitting. I, I love this place. It's the greatest experiment in the history of humankind. No doubt about that. I don't think all is lost. This isn't 1968. Although, you know, they didn't have social media then. Yeah. How do you... Or like <laughs> assault weapons, you know, you name it. How does it, in your view, Charlie, how does this compare to 1968? Well, I wasn't very old. I was about one. But um, consider 1968. Dr. King was assassinated and 100 cities simultaneously burned. Not one, 100. Right. Bobby Kennedy was assassinated by an Arab nationalist. The Black Panthers were on trial for ambushing and assassinating police officers. The Weathermen were convening in Ann Arbor in the reign of terror and bombing buildings. ISIS, we had the Tet Offensive in 1968. The white racists, uh, George Wallace won 46 electoral votes and almost pushed the final vote for president to the House of Representatives. The Democratic National Convention ended in a riot. Richard Nixon was elected, and you know how that ended. <laughs> so, you know, calm down, everybody. Of course, we didn't have globalization. We didn't have social media. We didn't have opioids, you know, everywhere. And we didn't have... Uh, AR-15s and, you know, anybody's closet that wanted one. So those things are different. But I don't think we're going to, you know, slide into the ocean tomorrow. I really don't. Do you think that given all of the other things that we do have, globalization, instant communications, the, the way in which we're connected, the way in which news the speed at which it travels, the 24-7 nature of it, and all the other things you've touched on, that it makes trying to stitch this all back together impossible today. I never say impossible. I say roll up your sleeves and get on with it, right? The only thing an individual can do is what she decides to do. The, the system might be corrupted by those that uh, occupy it, but it's a great system. You know, tribalism doesn't work in something this large. We threw away the king. We th your communism didn't work. It's a good system. You know, democracy is a patient thing. You know, what I mean, you just have to tend to it. So, I, I know I, I'm, 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 I'm thinking we'll, we'll get through it. I don't think it's falling apart. I don't. I think we're, we're even farther along. Remember all the things that have happened recently, right? Uh, Equal marriage rights. Mm -hmm. Consider that. You know, just that one alone. We've come a long way, baby. <laughs> you know, we have. And I, I don't expect a human being to wait and be patient because your life doesn't, doesn't last that long. But we are a nimble culture, right? We do correct wrongs. We're not there. And, you know, if we work hard enough, we can get there. And, and Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe. Maybe it's the end of days. I don't know, brother. <laughs> and finally, to kind of bring it back to where we started with you out there on the road, 
Where should we be looking for, for models, for signs of hope? Where, where are the good things that you saw out there? The hopeful things. You see those in individuals. So I can't give you like an itinerary where, you know, you go there and like, wow, man, Salt Lake's where it's at. You know, it's not like that. It's more like if you give somebody the time of day, you help somebody, you know, it sounds dumb, but it's true. You help somebody with their bags or somebody's in, in need. You saw it. Okay. Hurricane Harvey, right? In a, in, a, in, a, in a cataclysm, the people banding together. When it was really important and we weren't whiling away the hours watching TV, people rolled up their sleeves. They didn't care what color each other was. They helped each other. You got to remember that's in us too. Charlie LaDuff, his book is Shit Show. The country's collapsing and the ratings are great. Charlie, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Hey, I'm going to be uh, in San Francisco. I, I think it's next week. I hope you come to the reading. If not, you know. Absolutely. I love you anyway. <laughs> All right, Charlie. Thanks a lot. See you soon. All right, Jeff. Bye. bye.